Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and entrepreneurship to help you harness your own inner tenacity and drive your life and career forward. My guest today, Darius Baxter, the 2021 Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Award recipient and founder of Good Projects. And after being raised by a single mother through the murder of his father and subsequent homelessness, Darius Baxter committed his life to creating pathways for families like his own to make it out of poverty. This is the good stuff, people. And since graduating from Georgetown University with his degree in globalization and poverty, Darius began pursuing his passions through several social impact ventures. And he's facilitated millions of dollars of investment and resources into low-income communities in the U.S. and abroad. And in 2018, he began developing the Goods One to provide options and opportunities to 500 families living in public housing in his hometown of Washington, D.C. And I had the pleasure of meeting Darius back in October at Breakout Newark, and we immediately connected, and I'm excited to continue our conversation today. Good is literally a part of every step Darius takes, and I think we could all use a little bit more good in our lives. So let's get to it. Darius, finally, welcome to the podcast, man. Whoop, whoop. I'm excited to be here. Excited to be here, Paz. Well, what do they call you ha- on the show? Do they call you Adam? They call you Paz? What's your nickname for whatever, sure? Whatever you're feeling. Whatever you're feeling. You know, today's Wednesday, right? If you're feeling Paz, call me Adam. Whatever you want, man. Dude, it's 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 dealer's choice. Dealer's choice here. So, listen, I want to I want to bring everyone up to kind of speed on your story. And one piece that I loved, and yeah. I didn't know this, man, that you actually wanted to be a preacher when you were younger. Like, when did you I first did, feel yeah. that calling, man? Let, let, let's let's throw a little curveball to start this show off. Yeah, I like that. I before like we that. hit before we hit record, this dude gave me an intro like you wouldn't believe. I actually wish I recorded. So let, let's let's harness let's harness that preacher vibes, man. Take me back to that moment when you're like, shit, man. I want to be a man of God. We taking them to church today? No, still a man of God, man. Every single day pursuing uh, ways to get closer to the heavenly Father, uh, and by the grace of God, I'm having the ability to to live out like his word every single day in my work. Uh, but no, when I was young, born and raised in the church, like straight up, born and raised in the church, uh, people look at my story and all that I've been able to do over the course of my life. But at the end of the day, all that is, is a reflection of generations of people that came before me that have lived lives of service. Uh, and, you know, you look at my mother and my father, my mother, a public school teacher, my father, a police officer. Uh, and even before then, uh, my grandparents, uh, on my mother's side, you got my grandfather who was a, a, a bus driver, social servant in his own way. And then my grandmother, who was a lay woman in the church and still is to this day, um, as long as I can remember, as long as I've been alive. So my whole life, every free moment that we had, we were doing something in the church. And, you know, the Bible talks about you raise a child up uh, and the way that it should go, they should never depart. And I'm just a product of that. 
You know, so being in the church gave me sort of this fulfillment very early on, like knowing that there was something bigger than myself. There was somebody watching over me. And uh, I wanted to pursue that call. I want everybody to feel that. Yeah. I mean, do you do you do you really thank the church then and now for why you're such a positive human being? Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. To be able to live a life knowing that at the end of the day, like I can be taken like off this earth right now, like any of us. a car could any come crashing us. through my back window. I live, I live next to the highway. If you can't tell, like a car could come crashing oh, through, through my window. Nah. <laughs> um, but being able to walk around with the with the joy, knowing that if that was to happen, that I would be in a, I would be able to walk through the pearly gates, knowing that I gave it all, and know that I, like everything that I did in my life was to try to bring people closer to sort of finding their own passions and bringing people closer to Christ. I love that. Uh, and, and yeah, there's, there's no greater joy than being a believer, to be that, honest. That's faith. That's faith. And I tell everybody too, faith faith doesn't have to be religious. Faith comes from, you know, that that sense of positivity and belief in, in, a, in a good. And again, you know, was that early on in, in, in your experiences as a child in the church when you saw the altruistic side of it with giving back to the community and supporting and lifting people up? No, it was more so... Uh, it was mostly about the community, Paz. Like, to be honest, like, here you were every Sunday having an opportunity. And church definitely looks much different now than it did when even I was coming up, particularly after the pandemic. But here we were every Sunday and times throughout the week coming together as a community of people um, just to celebrate one common goal and one common cause. Like, and there weren't many other places in my life at that age that I was sort of feeling that sense of community. And you even look at the work that I do now with Good Projects. That's one of the reasons why I'm so big on community and building community. Like we just had a big event last week because like when people come together under one common cause, there's nothing that they can't do. I love it. And, and, and yeah. if you don't mind, if you don't mind taking us back, you know, to, you know, the, the, yeah, the, the tragedy in your life when you're only nine years old, losing your father to gun violence. Yeah. How is, how is the church there for you during that time? And how did that help form your, your path forward? Well, you know, Wow, that's a good question, man. Golly, make sure y'all tune into the podcast. You got the best questions. Uh, but no, it's um, well, I never really reflected on that. Pause. Nine, nine, nine is an interesting age. My daughter, my daughter's nine. I'm gonna give you a second to think on that. My daughter's nine, and I think about how formative she is right now, and everything not yeah. only that my wife and I say and do, and the experiences that we give her, but what she's seeing out there in the world. And the environment and, and her experiences. And I really think that that really that eight to 10, 11 years old, I mean, those are the formative years, right? Yeah, no, 100%. I'm just, just thinking through it as we're sitting here. You know, when my father died when I was nine, that was a, that was a time, man. That was a time, particularly in the way that he died. Like I lost a parent at a young age to a violent crime. He, and a he, violent he, crime that was committed was to somebody shot, right? that was... He was shot. Yeah, shot in my childhood home. That's insane. Um, and it was orchestrated by my stepmother. So it was like... Fuck. Yeah, right? <laughs> One word for that. So it was like, uh, I, I wouldn't have been able to make it through that time if not for the community of people. And not just the church, but my family more than anything. Um, and my extended family. But people rallied around. People rallied around myself and my brother and my mother and made sure... That we were gonna be all right and we were gonna make it through. Obviously, doesn't matter what happened. It's 
Damn, yo, let's move on, man. That's yeah. You know what? And, and, and you know, moving on is important too. But I think it's important for un- for people to understand your roots and understand, you know, the the struggle and the work that your mom did as a as a as a single parent. Let's talk about that inspiration of your mom, man. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, let's talk about oh the positivity that came out of it. Your mom, single mom, you know, raising you guys and you know, showing you the path forward. You mentioned she's a, a public school teacher, right? Certainly, yep. Right. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. good within that, and and she's teaching. During the day, she's teaching all the time, man. I mean, she she taught you to be strong, and she showed you the way. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Now I tell people, you know, I've been able by the grace of God to achieve a lot. But my greatest title is a uh, Stephanie's son. Uh, you know, love that. I, and I'm blessed to be able to work with my mom now. She's actually a, a director of youth programming at Good Projects. Uh, but now, from a young age, just seeing what hard work and dedication did like not just for the individual but for the people around them like regardless of the fact we talk about sort of the experiences that i had with the death of my father but i was blessed to have a mother first that surrounded my brother and i with love in every aspect of our life whether it was the meals she made (laughs) the way that she greeted us in the morning uh to you know even how she disciplined us it was always rooted in love and then on the second thing was always impressing upon us the importance and the power of what education could do like here we were, two young boys growing up in '90s DC, where every Can't distraction imagine. in the world possible, having dealt with the uh, the trauma associated with the death of my father, but somehow, some way, she was able to impress upon us: look, if you focus and you do what you need to do, you show up on time, you do what you need to, you get good grades in school, uh, work hard on the football field, that you're gonna be able to do anything in your life. And my brother and I, we bought in. And I can look at myself now as a 28 year old man, seeing the seeing the the uh, the uh, the successes that stem from that, and I'm just so thankful. There's no person in my entire life that has been more influential than Stephanie Page Baxter, my mom. I love that and, dude. And I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna chop I'm gonna chop this up and I'm gonna make it into a digital Mother's Day card for you. So you're all set with that, man. I got you covered for Mother's Day. <laughs> man, thank you, brother. Thank you, man. But every 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 day is Mother's Day for 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 Miss Paige Baxter, man. Yes, it, you I ask her what's the greatest gift that she wants is just to see her sons happy and succeeding at something. So I, I can confidently sit here knowing that I'm checking the box. I love it, me. man. So let let let's move the story along here. Georgetown was, was Georgetown always your your number one man? Is that like I mean that's a that's a big time school and you got to put up some serious yeah. grades, academics, extracurricular. You know, what was that like getting into Georgetown? Well, I met this tennis coach and he said, uh, if I uh, if I just sent him $250,000 that he would tell them I played tennis. So we just went that route. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny nah, how that nah, works, man. right? <laughs> yeah, no, nah, Georgetown, man, they be going through it, man. I love my alma mater. They be having a lot going on up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, man, actually Harvard was my number one school. Um, I always have been the type of guy, like if I'm going to do something, I want to do it. I want to do the top. Um, so before high school, uh, I thought I was going to play basketball. So I was more so interested in like the basketball type schools, the Dukes, Wake Forest was big for me. But as I started to get deeper into my high school experience, uh, I started getting better at football and it was clear that that was going to be the sport that I was going to rock with. Um, wasn't necessarily fast enough at my position. I played receiver to, um, to be at like the, the top one, a schools like SEC. So I knew pretty early on going into my junior year, I was going to probably end up one double A. One double A in football is uh, football is the only sport that has uh, two levels of Division One. You have Division One A, which are all the schools that people probably are aware of: your yep. Ohio State, your Wisconsin. You have One Double A, which is FCS football, 
Um, and that's what that's the level I went to. So I knew pretty much my target schools and Harvard was on that list. Uh, but after they started recruiting me, going going up to visit the schools and everything, and they just kept coming back like, we want your SAT scores to be higher. We want your mm-hmm. SAT scores to be higher. And I was just like, you know what, man? Like, if y'all don't want me, I don't want y'all. Yeah. And uh, it was two schools that ended up offering me. It was Holy Cross and Georgetown. And uh, funny as it is, going into my senior season, uh, I was like, all right, I got these two offers. I'm about to go out here. I'm going to ball out this year, um, get more offers on the table, and then I'll make my decision at the end of the season. First game of the season, I dislocate my kneecap. Oh. <laughs> out for the rest of the season. Damn. And I'm sitting there talking to my coach. He's like, yeah, man, you better commit to one of them schools. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, man. Better guess we stay at home. We stay at home. I'm a Hoya, baby. <laughs> I'm a Hoya. So uh, right. committed like the third week of the season. Damn. But if it was, but if it wasn't for that, right, you wouldn't have met your partners with good projects, right? Troy and Danny, right? 100 yeah, percent universe so- always the universe always conspires for what is going to create the greatest good that is it. that is my my personal opinion so let's take let's take it back to senior year tell us how tell us how it all came together senior year of college yeah i mean i can't talk about my senior year of college that's off the record that's been stricken <laughs> man I, i'm just glad i've been telling this story man i ain't got no shame in my game we were wilding man <laughs> <laughs> we were, and if you were were you really experiencing college did you have the full college yeah. experience so let's talk about let's talk about the origin story of good yeah, no, the origin story. It was you said a group of guys. It was originally four of us, a group of guys that were all living together in this house on Prospect Street, and we were just we were known as the guys that were partiers. So we had this big house, and every weekend we were just throwing ragers, like <laughs> ragers, <laughs> like the whole. It's just hundreds of people filling in our backyard to the point that one day uh, we threw this one party. <laughs> And it was so many people. The steps attached to the house broke off. It couldn't handle it. <laughs> couldn't handle the load. It couldn't handle the load of the party. So Jeez. everybody's just like stranded in our backyard. <laughs> it's like an island, right? Like everyone just stuck there. That's crazy. Yeah, the, the fire marshal ended up having to come. It was bad, man. It tried to, yeah. Yeah, having to explain. I'm glad I never had to explain to my mom, hey, I got kicked out of school for partying too much. Uh, but you know, later we got into the school year. It was us sort of reflecting on and getting more serious about what our future was going to look like, and asking ourselves the question: You know, what do we want to be remembered for? Is it that we're going to be the guys on campus that were partying, or the guys on campus that actually did something with their time? And not to say we stopped partying because we kept going, but it was approaching the actually, ironically, the uh, the athletic director. And we were talking and it was like, hey, I really want to put together um, an experience for the student athletes here where we can maybe learn about um, different experiences of people as we start to head out into the world. And they were like, "Uh, yeah, cool. We'd love to do it. And they gave me a small budget and I put together uh, like a symposium of sorts of these four speakers from around the country to talk about like these different experiences of athletes. We had like LGBTQ athletes. We had athletes that went on to like become entrepreneurs um, and they loved it. And 350 people came to the event, packed out auditorium and was like, okay, like we got some momentum here. We know how to coordinate. We know how to organize. How do we do this like even bigger? And I knew that my target after graduation wasn't going to be athletes. 
Um, and I was blessed to be able to meet a guy by the name of Frank Luntz, who is like this big Republican pollster guy. And we started talking more. And in talking to him, I realized that my true passion was to be able to go back to the communities in which I had like really overcame to make it to the graduation stage at Georgetown. Yeah, you're a success, man. Yeah, no. And it's this, I, and I can confidently say that I'm success because it's actually, um, this is beautiful quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson and it defines success. And actually, let me, uh, you're going to cut this up, right? Pause. I'll cut it up, man. I'll pause. Okay. Hold on. I'd like to take this moment. If you have not had a chance to check out the pausecourse.com, I need to learn all my secret tricks. Check out the pausecourse.com. See, I just did a live read, everybody. That's how we do it. All right, back to the quote. Yeah. I just did a yeah, live no, commercial. Yeah, for sure. No, it's this beautiful quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson that, I, that really changed my entire life and my perspective on the world, what it means to be an entrepreneur, and most importantly, what it means to be successful. And he says, you know, to laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition, to know that even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. Like, and I'm That's 28 it, years old. And I can say that I've already done those things. So and, I'm successful. And, and like, I'm a success story, bro. And only <laughs> and only and only more, man. And and it's just crazy, you know, the 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 good that you're doing there. Um, so can we take it back to the camp that you set up in that area, that really bad area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, here we are, like senior year, like, okay, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this good projects thing. And um we're like, okay, we don't have any money, we don't know where we're gonna live, uh, but we know we're gonna go back and serve. So I was interning on Capitol Hill at the time, and we were doing a lot of work on gun control legislation. And one of the most troubling statistics that I discovered was right here in my backyard in D.C., how gun violence had spiked. Terrible. And there were several hundred shootings um, several in hundred. the district. Yeah. Damn. Um, and that was like very, very troubling to me. And I'm like, how could I sort of look out into the world when there's problems right here in my backyard, particularly in the Anacosta community where I was coaching football my senior year? So I went to the school and I was like, hey, like, would you guys be cool with us doing a camp here? And they were like, yeah, like you want the school building? I'm like, uh, sure. Yeah, I'll take it. I got to pay for it. Like, nah. I'm like, OK, yeah, yeah. Right, <laughs> let's cool. do it. I'm 20, 22 years old at the time. I'm like, Set yeah, shop. why not? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know how legal this was, like, but the school, they just turned the school over to me, like for the summer. And uh, I was like, OK, this, this is happening. Um, so we just went knocking on doors in the neighborhood like, hey, we're doing this free football camp. It's going to be an academic component, like senior kids. And where we would have been happy, you know, if 10, 15 kids showed up. That's what I thought. There was only two of us as counselors, like 70 kids show up the You're first like, uh -oh. day. What are we going to do here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but we made it work, man. We had $3,000 for that entire summer for 70 kids. And I don't know how, <laughs> so, but we did it, man. And what was, I mean, talk about the positive effect on the community. You were, and, and, and I'm going to, you know, my take on this, man, you were setting an example for those kids and showing them the way forward, that it didn't have to be about gangs. It didn't have to be about violence, that there is an opportunity there. And you were being, a, you, you and the other council, you were role models that a lot of these kids probably didn't even have in their own homes. Facts, though. But at the end of the day, you know, I get that a lot. But 
the thing that I take the most joy in is the fact that I'm actually learning from the kids. Like, there's no greater critic than a 12-year-old. An unfiltered 12-year-old, <laughs> man. I know it. Right? Hey, they, they keep you honest, man. So, yeah, they got a lot from me and they still get a lot from me. I'm involved in programming every day. But more than that, uh, I gain from them. Like, they make me who I am as a man. Like, I'm so excited to have kids of my own one day because I've had the opportunity to practice every day of my life uh, with kids that love, respect, and forgive me and have a lot of patience. I love so. that, man. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a groundwork, man. I tell you, as a father of two, all the training in the world doesn't prepare you. No, but you know, that, yeah. that, that training is, is, is really imperative because you're going to be the parent that you, you want to be. And the role model that you have from your mom is, is really going to pay it forward. The podcast is brought to you in partnership with Venturi, the recruitment operating system, the all-in-one tech platform purposely built for recruitment and staffing to unify your front, middle, and back office operations. Venturi is designed by recruiters for recruiters. Both the company and the platform are the unique creations of successful recruiters who sold their business, saw a need for a better recruitment tech, and made it happen. And if you're looking to upgrade your recruitment tech and give your recruiters a new modern operating system, visit venturi.io slash podcast. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-E dot I-O backslash P-O-Z-C-A-S-T for an exclusive offer. Thanks. Let's kind of do a quick time capsule and Mm -hmm. let's bring everyone up to speed on what you've done with good, you know, since graduating college and, you know, in the, in the last, you know, seven, eight years. I mean, it's incredible. We just kept building, kept growing. Like at the end of the day in 2019, we set out a big, bold vision to create a model for what it looks like to raise entire communities out of poverty over a specific period of time. Like, and that isn't how we started. In 2016, we were an organization that, so from that summer camp, <laughs> where it got out in the city, um, and in our first six months, we were earmarked to receive a half a million dollars in the city awesome. to pilot a, restore, uh, a juvenile justice program. And we did that well. We did it at a very high level and it became an international model for what it looks like to transition young people out of the juvenile justice system back into the community. Uh, well, recid- recidivism being- is one of the, the one of the core issues in, in the in the poverty cycle. No. So if 100%. you could break if you could break that, I mean I, I work with an organization called Defy Ventures, and that's a key component right there. It's like how do you break the cycle? When and where and how do you break the cycle? Yeah, no, hundred percent. And you get it. You get it. I think the thing that I always try to to focus on in that point in my life was, you know, regardless of how much success we were having from an impact standpoint, we were raising money very quickly in our first two years. We had a budget over $2 million. Like this, again, this idea, like in a college dorm by a bunch of party animals. That's how it starts, man. That's always how it starts, bro. Collective, again, a community of people coming together for a common cause. There's nothing that can't stop. There's nothing that they can't do. Yeah, that's 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 tremendous, man. So pandemic hits, right? And this kind of changed everything going on. I mean, you launched, um, you know, we talk about the the good zone, and it was one on one support with the kids. How, how did how did the whole model shift, and how did you handle that transition, like on a dime, you know, back in March 2020? Well, I, I can say that this is a lot of business models. I think have succeeded due to some unforeseen circumstance that makes their work a lot more relevant. Like the fact that we're even on this right now using sort of this Zoom like mm-hmm. feature. Uh, but pre-pandemic, the work that we were doing wasn't sexy. Like you're going to funders, you're going out into the world talking about we're providing basic needs to people. Um, I remember philanthropy pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Everybody was interested in, you know, what's the next great 
scientific innovation, teach every kid how to code and uh, da, 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 and I'm like, basic needs. <laughs> All of that sounds good, but how can I teach a kid to code if they don't even got no electricity in their house? And people were like, oh, what do you mean? Like, oh, like what do you mean you provide food? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> kids have to eat to be able right, to go let's to school. Let's talk about the basics, man. <laughs> uh, but the pandemic, like for, I think a lot of people in the space that I work in, it was a blessing because here we were, obviously not all of the casualties that came with it, but sort of the environment that it created for philanthropy where starting to talk about basic needs, people understood either because they had experiences sort of in their own life being trapped in the house for a month, two months, yep. and you're realizing like access to things is difficult. Uh, then it became just readily apparent the disparities that exist between the haves and the have nots in our world. So good projects I would say our model didn't shift at all. We went deeper into the work. We were frontline workers and still are frontline workers um, all throughout the pandemic, still running programming in person every day. We launched our learning hub where kids were able to use um, our center as a drop-in site for their education. So instead of doing their virtual work at home, we had quality tutors um, that were able that were there with us every day. And the kids could come in and get help with their work throughout the day and still do keep sort of a normal cadence of stuff like recess and most importantly, get fed, you know, because a lot of kids weren't eating during the pandemic school. People take for granted how important a school meal is. Dude, dude, like, straight, straight up, man, the, the, the public school systems in, in the biggest communities where you talk about New York, Chicago, D.C., L.A., they are the number one, the number one source of where children eat. And people forget yeah. about that. People forget about that. People forget about that. School is an escape for most children. Like particularly kids that are growing up in low income environments, like here you are. And this isn't the case for everybody because I work in some dope communities of people that are loving and caring and supportive and raising the hell out of their kids. But for a group of kids, like they're living in very chaotic environments. So just the peace of mind that they got from being able to walk into a school building, knowing that there was somebody there like my mom that loved and cared about them, that would provide for them and that they could eat that was safe. Like that was stripped away from a lot of kids for almost and still some kids True. are still working virtually, you know, like that was stripped away from a lot of kids for more than a year. Uh, and that took a, a huge psychological toll, not just academically for students, as we're seeing like the gaps um, that already existed widening, but the psychological toll, like in the sense of they didn't have a safe space. It was just continued trauma. Right. And, that, continued and now they're trapped and now they're trapped with their villains at home all day long. And think about the lack of access to technology, Wi-Fi, laptops. You know, there's no computer for them to do the work. Yeah. And schools tried to do their best, you they know, did. but it's impossible to keep up with that immense amount of need. It's impossible. How could you? Yeah, that's that's a tough one, man. So let's 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 fast forward. And I listened to a recent conversation. Let's talk politics for a minute here. Your conversation with Andrew Yang, which was awesome. And I thought you were both making the point you were both making about polarizing <laughs> candidates and the team mentality of Democrats and Republicans to be powerful. I, I feel like a lot of people are just disenfranchised right now. The last two election cycles, everything going on. What's your hot take? You don't you don't have to think they are. They are. Man. Yeah. No shit. Keep in mind, these statements are my own. They're not reflective of. Uh, good projects. Uh, but no, we're, we're living in a, in a very polarized time. And it was very polarized even before Donald Trump took the stage in 20, uh, was that 2018? Something like that. <laughs> no, 2016. I'll try to forget about that. As a... <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, Quite the interesting no, time. Even, yeah, very interesting time. Uh, but what I love about sort of the period that we're in now with having um, Joe Biden as a president He's not somebody that sort of seeks the spotlight. 
like we lived in a time for four years where you couldn't go on social media. You couldn't go, you couldn't cut on the television. Uh, you couldn't read the newspaper without something that had happened related to uh, the executive office. But we're kind of, we're living in a time now where if you choose to, you could go, you know, weeks at a time and you wouldn't hear any drama or anything happening. And when I think about sort of government and I think what most people are looking for at the end of the day is to be able to live their lives peacefully and be able to trust their people in positions of power that are taking care of them. You know, like whether you love Joe Biden or hate him, you know, and I won't go into my personal politics around it, like what an environment that has been restored is one where it's not all in your face. You know, we're not constantly being bombarded right. with disparity or division. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, love that, I love that, that. You know, that's straight truth, right? I mean, it, it it it's straight truth there. And you know, let's talk about let's talk about the good stuff, man. And it's hard it's hard to pat ourselves on the back sometimes. But listen, man, the Muhammad Ali humanitarian award that's a big one, and not just for you, but how did that help elevate and put the spotlight on the good work that you're doing? Man, I don't, I don't pay attention to those awards, man. Um, I I love. My biggest joy was having the opportunity to meet the Ali family, uh, Muhammad Ali's beautiful wife and children. That's awesome. Um, that was the dopest part of the experience for me. Um, and, but yeah, man, every day there's some new award or thing that they're calling or emailing to our team. Um, we don't focus on that stuff. We focus on the work. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, if you do anything with a spirit of excellence, people are going to notice and people are going to want to celebrate you for it. Um, I've been a product of that. And that's something my mother instilled in me early on. Um, but I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that stuff, man, to be honest with yeah, you. I love, um, I love, I love. It definitely, it definitely helps with fundraising. And yeah, stuff, I, was, right? I mean, it's about to say, I mean, you have the halo <laughs> effect from that too. So let's switch it up. Let's talk tech a little bit. And and I've been getting into Web3 uh, from, oh, yeah. from a business perspective, man. And a big thing that hit me over the head immediately was equity. And we talked yeah. about, gen and I focused on gender equity, specifically around the lack of females in NFT projects and in Web3. And that's immediately what I focused on from my perspective. And I did it in a very unique way where I involved my daughter from the beginning. My daughter's been involved with the NFT projects I'm working on. I brought her down to Miami. She's met some incredible folks and, and women in that space as well. And, and that's kind of my purpose driven element in, in that world. But let's talk about, you know, let's talk about racial equity uh, and representation in this space. What are you seeing? What are you feeling out there? And what are we doing to make a difference? Yeah. At the end of the day, equity comes through education. Like I can tersely joke about sort of the space, how philanthropy looked pre-pandemic, where there was sort of this focus on STEM education and all the next great innovations. And I'll make the joke about it, but that's important. You know, at the end of the day, uh, Web3, technologies aren't going anywhere. The same way there was this boom in the 90s around the internet and people thought it was a fad. Uh, people very quickly realized it was here to stay. I think when we look about, when we look at Web3 technologies and DeFi, uh, this is something that's here to stay and the technologies are only going to improve. Uh, but right now it's still the wild, wild west. And with it being the wild, wild west, there's no concerted effort to ensure that everybody can participate. Uh, you have people that are very intentionally doing that, sort of with this uh, this deficit mindset that if everybody knows, then, you know, then how are we going to get our coin? And then you have people right. that, you know, just aren't aware. Uh, yeah, I think what we're looking towards, what we're looking at as we continue to push towards the future at Good Projects is how do we stay ahead of the game? But also, how do we ensure that our community is, is making that trip with us? Like DeFi has the ability, if done correctly, to increase the income 
of not just billionaires or, you know, guys like you and I that already have our bills paid, Barely. but through the, <laughs> through the decentralization of currencies, through the decentralization of um, Web3 technologies that allow people more access, um, we can truly change the face of what financial equity looks like, not just in the States, but around the world. Love it. Like, imagine a world where you go into a community and they have a centralized community that they're using, that they're buying and trading and selling things with, you know, where they don't have to be so dependent on sort of these centralized currencies that we have. Like when you think about the U.S. dollar, like people call it money, 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 but I call it a tool. All the U.S. dollar is is a tracking mechanism to track transactions that happen between individuals, uh, whether based on the, the speed and the volume is how you create sort of wealth for yourself. Um, but all it is is a tool. It's a tool that's recognized by the U.S. government. Um, but DeFi provides us an opportunity to be able to do that on a much more localized basis. And when you look at projects like what we're doing uh, with the Good Zone, that's something that we're really taking a look at. You know, and, and I think at the end of the day, if we're able to do it successfully, it's going to change the game. Yeah, that's that's massive there. And it's so funny you mentioned billionaire philanthropy. And I think I think I saw somewhere where you called Jeff Bezos a dweeb and not necessarily in like, you know, a, a revenge in the nerds type shit, but like more so how his ex-wife is just owning him in philanthropy. Yeah, like I would be embarrassed if I was him, like, to be honest, I'll be embarrassed, like. Yeah, no. I, I figure if I keep calling them out enough, one day I'll get a either black bagged or I'll get a call right. from an unknown number. Like, hey, we need to talk, man. You keep talking crap about Jeff Bezos. You got, you got, <laughs> you got, you, know. you got to bring it. No, but you're right about that. I mean, think about Elon Musk right now. It kind of run me kind of weird. Like this dude just spent forty four billion dollars on Twitter, man. Imagine the good in the world yeah. you could do with that. Yeah, and that's any. And it's, okay. I have no problem with Jeff Bezos. You know, I've met his parents. They're good people. Like, but. At the end of the day, like the amount of wealth that people have been able to accrue in such short periods of time is like first sickening because it shows that the system clearly, clearly, <laughs> rigged. Not, clearly rigged, clearly has some uh, some things we need to fix. Uh, but at the same time, for any individual to be able to accrue that much wealth and then to be able to look out into the world and see what problems exist and not wake up every day like, with these blessings and resources that I've been provided, I need to try to solve these things and work with people that can solve these things. Like, I'm sure they have aspects of their life, like like most billionaires do, like, oh, here's my foundation where we do our philanthropy. But to be an active participant in it is something completely different. And admittedly, I haven't seen enough of that in particularly sort of the top 1% space. The primary focus goes into how do I just make more money? How do I make more right. money? How do I make more money? Like, but why? Why do you? What? What is the purpose? You're not gonna of be buried money? with your money. Some people have tried, you know. <laughs> like, Scrooge McDuck shit right there. Yeah, some people have no, tried. It's but. true, man. So you know, you you've you, we talked a little bit about off air about a recent trip to Africa. Tell, I mean, what is that? What does that mean when you go there? What do you? What's the purpose of the trip? And you know, how are you continuing to spread the good work uh, when you go on these visits? Oh, it's at the end of the day, what gives me the freedom to be a critic is because anything that I'm critical of is work that I'm doing myself. I am not by any stretch of the imagination a billionaire yet. Right? But with the blessings and the resources that God has provided for me, I've both created sort of systems through good projects to be able to serve, but also in my own personal life. Uh, I, I act as a philanthropist 
and invest my own time, energy and resources into projects, not just here in the States, but around the world. In 2019, when I was going through, uh, I was going through a period in my life where I was dealing with like bouts of depression and uh, I stumbled into substance abuse. And it was a very, very dark time for me. And by the grace of God, taking it all the way back to faith, you know, I know that God didn't put me here to suffer. And it took me taking a step back and saying, okay, I'm doing all of this great work right now, but I need to focus on myself and get my head right. And I left the country, uh, headed to Nairobi, Kenya, just to, I knew it was going to be off the face of the map. I knew nobody was going to know me there. People couldn't get in contact with me. And I just went there to serve. And I can serve in the purest way. And arriving to the country, I met a guy by the name of Pastor Benson. And I told him, I said, hey, I'm from the States. I would love if you could take me to the poorest parts of this country because I want to serve. And he said, you know, most tourists want to go on a safari. <laughs> said, you know, I'm here, so I probably will go on safari, but that's not the primary focus. Like, no, I'm here to serve. And he took me into the Kemenguari slum where I met this beautiful husband and wife. And they had started a school for orphans in the slum. And I found out now, years later, that they were actually preparing to shut down the school because they had run out of money. Um, but I committed to them that day that I met them. I said, you know, I'm not Jeff Bezos, but whatever I can do to help you guys, I'm going to do it. Uh, and since then, I've had the honor and pleasure of funding the school and have watched it expand from about to shut down to now having over 200 kids that that's, attend every single day. That's incredible, man. That's that that is purpose. That I mean, think about Oh, dude, you think about like you kind of hit the rewind button on that and you think about your mindset and your process. You're like, shit, I was going through some shit, battling some substance abuse. I knew I needed to escape. I needed to go somewhere. And it turned into such a power of good. And that's yeah. legacy, man. That is, that is fucking legacy in its purest form. So when, when you when you think about not just legacy, because that's a bold thing to stay, to to talk about, but what what's the next five, 10 year plan for you and and good and continuing to spread the good? Well, man makes plans and God laughs. You know, at the end of the day, I always try to remember that. Right. Uh, Amen. But it, just seeing this project all the way through, we've made a commitment to the Southwest public housing community to get this thing done by 2030. Um, here we are in 2022. We have eight years left on the project. And that's my that's my primary focus, man. I, I try not to get too ahead of myself. It's like running. You know, if you get you get too far ahead, you're going to fall over. Like I just put one foot in front of the other every day and try to wake up and give the best version of myself um, to my family, first and foremost, and then to the people that I have the opportunity to serve in the community. And, you know, that has helped me every day. So, you know, yeah. what does the next 10 years look like? I don't know. But today it looks like I have the opportunity to serve. <laughs> That's that enough is, for me. That is that is some good stuff, my man. So let, let's bring it home here. And I ask every guest these questions. What is Darius, what is the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every day? Mm, hmm. That's a great question. Let's drop some uh, wisdom here. Maybe it's something you wake sing- up. It's a mantra, something you repeat to yourself. What keeps you going? Hmm. Hmm. Right. Single you're doing, you're doing so much good out there that who, who inspires you? Who's put those words feel, in your ear to keep you motivated? That's like, no, I, I feel like I've dropped a few gems already uh, here. But I think the greatest piece of advice just really comes down to like faith without action is just like a dream. Like I've been blessed over the course of my 
existence to be a vessel for a greater good. Like Quincy Jones, uh, I he might have bit it from somebody else, but he said these words that were so powerful. And he was like, you know, if God puts something in your heart, like a dream, a vision, a song, a painting, whatever it is, like if it's put in your heart, it's already yours. But the thing about God is that he put it in your heart because this is something that he wants to see in the world. So in Quincy Jones case, he was saying he would keep a notebook next to his bed because sometimes God would come to him in the middle of the night with ideas and he would want to write it down. And the reason he kept the notebook was because to what I'm sharing it's like, if God wants to see it in the world, if you don't want to do it, he's going to take it down the street to your neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> and Quincy Jones lived in Beverly Hills. So uh, his neighbor might've been Frank Sinatra. So <laughs> he's like, if God brought it to him, he's like, why did you make so many songs? Quincy, he's like, cause God just kept giving me inspiration. And I just kept seeing it through. He knew I was a good vessel for him. So for me, it just really come down to that. It's like the greatest piece of advice I can give you is just, if there's a dream and vision of something in your heart, like just operate with the confidence that it's already yours. Else God wouldn't have brought it to you in the first place. But a lot of people are scared again to take that first step. Take that first step, you know? man. That's that's powerful. Yeah. And last but not least, you know, you look back on your life and you have so much more to go, man, and you've already done so much. But you know, I always say by the, the grace by the grace of God, right? man. By the grace I, of God. I always say the treasure's in the shit pit. The treasure's in the shit pit when you're at your lowest and direst. When you look back on your life, you look back when you were nine years old, losing your father, being raised by a single mother, going through shit, man, and your and your battles and everything that you've had to overcome. And looking back on it now, you look at your journey. You look at not just your own personal success and your own personal growth, but the fucking amazing good that you and your team have done in this world to affect positive change. When you need to dig down deep inside and harness that tenacity that you have in spades, man, to pull yourself forward, what is your compass in life? What keeps you going? Darius Baxter, what is your North Star? My family. That's the easiest question you've asked all day. My family. Every Sunday we come together for Sunday dinner and just refresh, relax, and just enjoy one another. Like I have so much confidence. Like when I walk through the world, like if you can't hear in my voice, like I'm a confident. Oh, he is. Way too like, in person. Like and it's not a cockiness. It's not an arrogance. I don't go around boasting and bragging about myself. Like you've seen me in Rome's pies. Like I kind of keep to myself. Like it's not, but it's this inner confidence that I have because at the end of the day, I know that I'm making my family happy. Like, I know I'm doing everything in my power to be able to provide for them. Like, so when times get tough, when the road gets dark, even when things are going good and, you know, my name is in the press or I'm on the cover of somebody's newspaper or something, I always am able to stay grounded in who I am and confident in who I am as a person because the opinion and the love and affection of those that I've gone on this journey with, my mother, my brother, my sisters, like my grandparents, my aunts, like that is the thing that is the most important to me. That's the thing that keeps me grounded. Respect, man. Respect, man. Darius, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Powerful story, incredible journey. You got my full support always. I'm looking forward to breaking bread and crossing paths again soon. I want everyone to check out goodprojects.org. Where else could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Uh, all social media platforms, Good Projects DC, uh, projects with an S. And then, yeah, goodprojects.org. Um, and then my email is just good at goodprojects.org. So, yeah, reach out, guys. I'm here. I'm available. Yeah. And if you're ever in D.C. or for the listeners that are in D.C., we'd love to have you guys come down and volunteer. Cool. 
Definitely check it out there. Hang with me one moment here. And everyone listening, this has been one of the one of the better episodes. I love having conversations like this, especially when I have an opportunity to connect with folks in real life, in person, and then bring them onto the show. It's different. It's a different vibe. And and I and I vividly recall us walking. We were walking from one event to another, and you and I just broke out and we just got into it. And we just talked about yeah. life. We talked shop and everything. And that's what this is all about. And remember, take take those online connections, connect with them everywhere. Guys, listen, you know where to find out more. All of the good stuff is at thepodcast.com. Follow us on all the social media channels. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another and catch us next week for another good episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon. Jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.